Okay, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Holy Ordinary. My name is Laura Kelly, and I'm your host. Um, as always, you can find us on Instagram at Holy Ordinary. Please drop comments, um, subscribe on here, whatever platform you're listening to, or just share this with your friends, because that's always fun. Um, <laughs> I have tried to record this episode quite a few times. Um, when I finally had a version that I was semi-okay with, it ended up getting deleted. Not due to user error, but it was deleted. So now we're starting from scratch again. And um, this is really weird because it has taken me so long to record this episode, um, which is, as you can tell by the title, Christian Feminism. Um... Because it's weird because I talk about stuff like this all the time um, as a Christian woman. Uh, it just seems to come up in conversation. It's something that I'm passionate about. Um, so it's really strange that it took me so long to, to feel comfortable even recording this. I suppose it's because I wanted it to be perfect, but I know that I don't have all the answers. People are going to disagree with me. And all of those good things. So here we go. Um, This podcast episode is intentionally general and vague. If you would like for me to dive into more specific topics relating to um, women in ministry, um, the relationship between women in Christianity, uh, Christian women preachers, or women in Islam, women in Buddhism, women in Native American religions, any of those other topics relating spirituality and women, I would absolutely love to do an episode about that. So just DM me, drop a comment about um, what you would like to be seeing from Holy Ordinary. So go ahead and diving right in um, with the title. Obviously, the title implies a lot of things that you might be thinking right now. So honestly, when I first titled this, I didn't realize it would be controversial. And then I reached out to some um, people that I know about what they thought about when they heard the words Christian feminism. And I got some mixed responses, but for the most part, it was from conservative Christian women who feel that the title Christian feminism has been hijacked by more liberal theologians um to mean something that they that they believe is like in contradiction with orthodox christianity so i'm just going to take a minute to define my terms for me and for this podcast when i say christian feminist um christian is defined as someone participating in the kingdom of god um somebody who is seeking to follow after jesus And feminism is going with the very basic definition of the belief that women are equal to men, that women deserve equal opportunities, and just that women are women. And in the places that they are being discriminated against, persecuted, they should be lifted up and we should be unified with men um, in that pursuit that men should, you know, help out a little bit. (laughs) But um, 
there's a lot of baggage that goes along with both of those terms. So some people, when they hear the word Christian, they're like, oh, you're a Republican bigot. Uh, some people think when they hear feminism, oh, you hate men. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, some people might say, unless you believe this doctrine about Christianity, um, you know, unless you believe that, I don't know, women shouldn't be preachers, or unless you believe that the Bible is inerrant, then you can't be considered a Christian. Uh, conversely, some people would say, unless you believe that women should have the ability to choose to have an abortion, or um, if you don't support free the, free the nipple movement, then you can't be a feminist. Those are issues that you can discuss amongst yourselves. Um, however, for my purposes, I'm that's how I'm using those terms. It's just their general, um, basic definitions, because I think the nuances and baggage just detract from the conversation. If you spend too much time debating about whether or not there can be a Christian feminist, um, there's a book that was recommended to me called Jesus Feminist by Sarah Bessie. And her main argument is just that, yeah, Jesus was a feminist because he was for women, um, just like he's for all people. Um, so check that resource out if you are interested in learning more about that. It's not necessarily an exegesis or like a sermon, but um, and it's like more of an emotional type story. But I think it's a good resource for this conversation because this conversation is not removed from emotions and it's something that oftentimes has a very profound effect on people's lives, you know, like whether or not a woman should have a certain role, um, what, whether that comes to being hired in a church or her future spouse or just like her personal self-esteem and value. Um, the way that this topic is handled is is heavy. So, and it, it can be very weighty and uh people can be very impressionable based on impression impressioned upon um based on what they hear uh, about this topic uh, particularly you know feeling like you know if I'm not represented in Christianity then why would I do that you know up on the on the stage up on the near the altar it's all men and we're only talking about a man and um I just don't see myself represented, you know, Paul, Peter, all those guys are all men. Like, why would I be in a religion that doesn't care about me? So I think it's, it's a topic that needs to be treated delicately, um, to put it bluntly. So uh, getting into it, I want to begin kind of with the historical treatment um, of women. It's just cut and dry, the church has historically contributed to the unequal treatment of women. Um, not that the societies within those times were not doing the same, not not doing the same thing. Um, like the Roman Empire, women could not own property until the 5th century. Um, so as the church grew, you know, Constantine made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire in the 300s. But given the, so given the sway that the church had over society, it's important to realize the church was instrumental in securing the position of second place for women. 
um, for, for hundreds of years. Uh, and again, this isn't saying that there was no strong Christian women and that there was no support for women having, you know, spiritual ability or, you know, spiritual validity or just general validity um, to men because there are certainly men that believed that and that um, held women up and held their hand beside them. Um, but in general, I think, yeah, like we come from a history of patriarchy in the church and in the world. So, um, in the Western world, at least, um, it's interesting in the Reformation, there's lots of resources from women who stood up for their husband saying like, Hey, my guy, like, I know that I am a woman, but I feel like I have just as much ability to interpret the Bible as a man does. This is like a people breaking away from the Catholic church. And so she's like, and also my husband should be able to teach in a university. And he, you know, standing up for her husband, writing to somebody else saying, hey, I have authority. He has authority. And, you know, this is something that should be able to happen. So you see strong women like that, even in those movements. But then again, you have to remember at the same time in those movements, there's people like Martin Luther who kind of think that women are dumb. And obviously he's preaching to men and women. So he's allowing women to receive instruction. But there's a multitude. If you just look up Martin Luther hates women, I'm sure there's a web. I think there's a website that pops up with multitude of quotes about how women are not clever and shouldn't be allowed to do things and all the these weird things that you would not expect from a a spiritual guide, a spiritual leader, a pastor um, that many people revere. Not that Martin Luther has no merits. It's just that in in looking at Christian history, you have to realize there's a double there's two sides to it. There's people who we love that look down on women, and um, there's people that we just don't talk about as well who were wonderful examples. So um, if you're into church history, I'd really encourage you to check that out. Even in the Bible, obviously, you have women You have women in there. Um, and it, for their time, lots of the writers were just a outstanding work and including like in um, Matthew's genealogy including women that were whores that were outcasts um, as part of saying hey Jesus came from from that you know that says something a lot that says something about who Jesus is and um, who we are and, and capable of being redeemed from a position like that um so that's really powerful, but, you know, you also have Mary Magdalene and other New Testament women who who are depicted as serving the kingdom well. However, um, there's still nothing like, yeah, women, you can own property, or different things like that. So while the Bible has a lot to say about that, and the, the time period that the Bible was written in has a window into what women's relation to Christianity looks like, you have to realize that they're in each context that we look at, whether it's the first century, whether it's the mid-ages, mid, mid medieval ages, um, where women are never in power, really, um, except for in, like, nunneries, um, or whether it's the Protestant Reformation, or now. Um, there's always a different context 
So, segueing um, from that into how women are treated in the Bible, um, there's so, so much that can be said about this. Honestly, I don't know. I'm trying to keep this podcast general and because in case of diving in deeper on a certain subject, like what does the Bible say about women preaching or um, teaching, whatever you might say. Um, so I'm kind of going to go through, but I want to begin with just talking about women depicted in the Bible. Um, so I think nowadays there's a lot of talk about embracing the role of womanhood as it defined in the Bible. There's YouTube channels like Girl Defined and um, women like Beth Moore and a bunch of different resources, a bunch of different talks about biblical womanhood. Um, And the question is always, it seems like the question is always, what is this? What does this look like? What is the role of women? And so I'm just going to talk about a general evangelical Christian, keeping in mind this is a generalization. Most Christians would definitely agree baseline that women and men are equally valuable in the eyes of God and that women and men have the same spiritual value. The the difference, I think, comes when some Christians say that women and men simply serve different roles in the kingdom of God. So, according to a biblical lens, when people talk about what is biblical womanhood, they typically jump to the women's role being defined as a wife dedicated to God or a woman dedicated to God. They typically talk about a woman dedicated to God with a desire to be a wife in submission to her husband. It's interesting, like, people always quote, like, I want to be a Proverbs 31 woman. And it's like, okay, you're automatically assuming that you're a wife um, or that you are serving your family in some capacity. Um, there's some some kind of submission to your father or your husband. And it's a kind of submission in which, like, for the husband and wife, it's like an equal submission um, where the husband loves her as Christ loved the church, which is very selfless and sacrificial. However, she's charged to keep the household in order and to be, as Genesis has used the word, to be a helpmate. Um, you know, some might say... Certainly she can have a job or a role outside of the household so long as she maintains her part in serving the household um, because that tends to be seen as the primary calling according to, if you look at passages discussed about women, it tends to be in light of a man. Even like stuff like Song of Solomon, which read at your own risk. (laughs) Um, But it's interesting, like even in there, like she is described by a man so while this is not unusual like not something you know like we shouldn't be expecting this we have strong biblical women even if you think of like Ruth and Esther for their time you know Rahab these are all women who are just it's amazing that we have those stories especially considering the time period but definitely the bible is Tends, tends to show women from a patriarchal standpoint in which women are depicted in relation to a man. That's not saying that men are bad. <laughs> you know, it's, it's understandable. It's just that if you 
only go based on passages in Paul's letters, you might have a different idea of what a woman woman is if you don't look back at even the creation story. So even in the creation story, um, men and women are both given dominion over the universe. So whether or not you believe that the creation story is literal, um, it does show that how God ordered the universe from chaos. And in this uh, ordering, as he is making man, as he's making humankind, he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So in this passage, women and men are charged with dominion over the earth. Women and men were charged with the task to be fruitful and multiply. And women and men both sinned in this in the Genesis story. And then the remainder of people talking about scripture, they talk about women in relation to man. Um, people depict women as a wife rather than a person equally in dominion over creation. So that can be very detrimental to where we place the value of women and how Christian girls grow up viewing themselves and viewing and, and viewing themselves in light of God and viewing themselves in light of their role in the church. So uh, even if you sit, step back and say, you know, like, oh, it's okay for women to not marry, which I is good <laughs> that, that that has become a movement that people are speaking up about saying like, yeah, singleness is okay. Um, the problem is still that women are not, even though it's said that like, oh yeah, well, Paul says that it's even better to be single than to be married. Um, it's still shown as like, oh, in this season of waiting, in the season of singleness. But, you know, what if your singleness doesn't turn out to be a season? Um, but also, not even that, but just why are we defining ourselves and why are we defining women in, in relation to their relationship status or in relation to the way that they relate to a man? Because women have an inherent value and an inherent role um, that, that just can't be reduced to something like that. And it's, it's unfair for a woman's role to be reduced to a few cherry-picked passages from Paul's letters. I mean, to be honest, for me personally, I never really had much of an issue with um, that per presentation of women in relation to men because it, I didn't really, it didn't jump out at me. I didn't really catch it because it's kind of an undercurrent. Um, and, and people might justify it by saying, yeah, well, that's how the Bible does talk about women as wives or whatever. Um, and that's true, um, but if, if that's the only attention that you bring to it, that's just a cheapening, I believe, of an entire gender. I would propose that we change the way that we talk about women, um, you know, rather than saying, I'm good, I'm equal, I'm capable, we need to have the undercurrents of, like, yeah, you are, you are equally spiritually capable of digesting these things and you have value beyond just being a wife or just being part of a family 
or something like that because you your ultimate goal, your ultimate role as a Christian is to participate in the kingdom of God and that's how women should be depicted as well. So that kind of segued into the roles of women as well. Um, and as far as the roles of women go, obviously, um, as I said, it tends to be talked about more in the sense, in the, in relation to the role of the man, you know, like the man is the spiritual leader, the man is the provider, the woman is the cook, the woman is the caretaker of the family. Um, and in that way, God, God's ordered way, we are, we allow the creation to function happily. So, especially the idea of man as a spiritual leader, I really struggled with over the past few years because I was like, okay, if he's supposed to be the spiritual leader and I'm a Christian studies major, so I'm like, what if I know more about the Bible or more about, you know, these abstract God concepts than he does? Like, am I just supposed to sit back while he teaches me things that are kind of shallow or incorrect? Um, and then I was like, wait, first of all, I don't have to end up with a man like that. <laughs> Second of all, I am not, spiritual leading does not necessarily involve sitting down and doing that, but, and, and leading a Bible study, a family Bible study, that's not a good depiction of what spiritual leading is, but that's just the popular depiction. Um, but secondly, <laughs> just that resigning that role strictly to the man displaces the woman's ability to be a spiritual guide for other people completely. And that's not fair because women have a role to play in spirituality. Um, And it's just kind of ridiculous to me when we talk about the roles and the only place that women are allowed to share spirituality is in teaching their children. Um, you can debate about that, and you can have conversations with me, conversations with others about that, because I know that lots of people have interpreted biblical passages, especially um, 1 Timothy 2, to mean that women should not have teaching authority over a man. Um, I would encourage you to really research the context of those things. I was there. I had that belief at one point. Um, literally, extremely recently had that belief. And I would just really encourage you to dive into it. If you still come out with that belief at the end of the day, that's wonderful. I would just remind you to still treat women with respect and realize that even if you don't think they should have spiritual teaching authority, they still have inherent spirituality and they still have inherent spiritual knowledge connections and insights that other people don't um just like any individual mind so just keep that in mind another way that women are depicted in their roles is through motherhood well obviously i believe according to the body parts that women are the ones who bear children but i don't think that role is the way that they should be defined um women can be mothers and it's important to remember that motherhood is not defined by whether or not you tuck your child in every night or even if you actually gave birth to a child. Um, You might have delivered a child and not be motherly to that child. I think motherhood is defined based on your disposition to a child. And so 
belief that the role difference between a man and a woman comes based on the actions carried out is ridiculous, I think. Um, I think it's more about the inherent identity that a woman might have, their nature. Um, It's about, in my mind, it's the same as how we bear the image of God, not necessarily through our actions, but through an imprint placed upon us by God. If you're a Christian, you probably believe that everybody bears the image of God, regardless of whether or not they're a Christian. And according to that paradigm, our actions don't define whether or not we are image bearers. Just as a career woman, a stay-at-home mom, a female pastor can be a woman bearer. It's not inherently tied to whether or not she bore a child or whether or not she is a a motherly mother. Um, It's it's more than that. And and I think that to resign it resign the role of a woman to being a wife and a mother is just, again, like I said earlier, it's cheapening um, to an entire gender. So this kind of rolls right into headship. All these ideas are very much inherently connected, but if you're not familiar with the idea of headship, it's kind of twofold. So on one hand, you have um, this idea that Adam was created first and then a woman was created from Adam's rib. She was created second according to the story in Genesis 2. If you are using that, so then Paul Paul uses this to say, hey, women should not be teachers because of this created order that we have going on in Genesis. Um, I think it's important though to remember that the idea of the man being created before the woman is not biblically exclusive. It's not uncommon. In ancient literature, the Enuma Elish, which is another ancient creation story, has man created first as well. So if you're basing your entire argument for the reason that women should have a role in relation to man in that, just realize that your argument is not as powerful as you might have thought because of the other ancient literature evidence. Now, that sounds like I'm disagreeing with Paul's reasoning. Um, And maybe I am, but also maybe I'm not capable of interpreting Paul, or maybe Paul meant something other than what it kind of sounds like on the surface. It takes a lot of picking apart and a lot of meticulous exegesis to understand those things. And if you want to argue with me about it, feel free. We can also do an episode about that, and we can talk more in depth about it if you would like, but um, that's just a thought. Um, Furthermore, on the issue of headship, um, Paul talks about the analogy of Christ as the head of church, just as man is the head of woman. Again, just realize that this analogy only goes so far. Um, Man is not to be worshipped even though the church worships Christ and Christ is the savior of the church, even though man is not the savior of woman. So um, just remember there are limitations to that analogy. And, you know, if you come away still believing what you did, that's wonderful. Just be aware and realize and look at the holistic picture of what's going on there, regardless of what side you're on on those issues, because there's multiple. Um, and, And realize that at the end of the day, we just need to treat each other as 
valuable, mutually valuable created beings who in unity serve the kingdom of God and participate in the kingdom of God. Overall, just when you're looking at biblical womanhood, remember that all of these passages are written in a particular context. And as far as Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, he's speaking to the Ephesians, he's speaking to the Romans, and those are dealing with certain church issues, nuances, and audiences. Um, furthermore, they're written in the context of the first century, and so that's a time when, again, women didn't really have a ton of rights, not like they do today. Um, so recognize that as well, and all women, any directives about women are delivered within that context. So when we talk about women being submissive according to whatever Bible verse, um, realize the context that it is written in. Um, realize the importance of raising up spirituality and order and God's desire for his people to fill the mission assigned to them. And even though God didn't say, hey, women can own property, I 100% assure you that God is okay with women owning property. Um, again, this has not been a biblical exegesis of, of the theme of women or biblical womanhood or women as pastors or anything like that. I will happily drop an episode about whatever of those topics that you would like. Again, as I said, this is something I love talking about because I think it's very important for Certainly for 50% of the Christian population as women, but also, you know, men need to hear about it too. Um, bottom line is that women are who they are, and women are beautiful and charged with dignity and strength before God and human, human before God and humanity. Um, and together with man, women bear God's image in the world. So whatever kind of injustice women are facing in the world, in the United States, that might be wage gap issues. Um, in the church, that might be being restricted to a certain area of ministry. In other countries, it might be lack of resources for education. And as women, we need to be unified worldwide to promote equality and unity within ourselves and with everybody, with among all humanity and unity with God in that. Um, so my encouragement to you is fight on and look up literally any resource from any side of this issue and I promise you that you'll walk away knowing more firmly or less firmly what you believe and that's important. Um, just continue growing, even if you feel like you've decided on this issue, if you've decided a certain disposition towards women, I would encourage you to look at other aspects of where that might fall. So thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Holy Ordinary. I really hope to continue this conversation. I hope this was helpful to you in some way, and please interact with us on Instagram. Um, to keep this conversation going, and I can't wait to see you next week. Thanks. <laughs>